0: John chapter 12, last paragraph. You can turn there. Uh, This book is divided into two main sections, and uh, this is the end of section number one, um, which is often called the book of signs, uh, which includes uh, a lot of discourses. This is really his public ministry, and now, uh, well not now, Next week, we move into sort of his private ministry in the last couple days of his life, uh, focused along the upper room discourse uh, and everything associated with that. So there's a shift in what we're doing. So uh, beginning in verse 44 this morning. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the public ministry of Jesus just as much as we thank you for Jesus' work in private, and particularly on the cross and in the tomb, and now for us, seated at your right hand. We ask that the Spirit would indeed come to help us to understand what could be easily confusing words of Jesus here this morning. Grant us the grace we need by pointing us to him who points us to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It started with a bang. (laughs) Jesus, the Word who was with God, and the Word who was God. That's how this gospel begins. That is the prologue, so to speak, of this very gospel that we've been working on for the last year and a half now and we're sort of at the end of act one of this gospel and if this was a symphony or if this was a musical this would be the time for the overture the overture is important sometimes we forget like the 1812 overture how many of us listen to the whole symphony that tchaikovsky did we just know the overture The overture contains the various themes of music that go through uh, the whole larger work and kind of brings them all together, in a sense, in a crescendo. And this last paragraph functions, in a sense, like the overture by bringing these themes back together again, reminding us of what all of this has been about and hitting the major things for us as sort of a summary of Jesus' public ministry. This is the overture to the Book of Signs, the end of the first act of John's Gospel. The big idea this morning is that Jesus the Son was sent by the Father with a message of salvation. Yeah, we've been there before, and we're there again, okay? It's an overture. We're supposed to have heard all of this before, but now we see it in maybe a different light. And we should see this in a different light. And the first part we should see in a different light is the reality that behind the Son stands the Father. There are aspects of this that we've seen before, and we'll touch on those again, but there's some more that John, uh, Jesus brings out more clearly for us in the midst of this. Jesus, once again, gives us something of a head-scratcher. The one who believes in me does not believe in me. Is Jesus confused? (laughs) Is Jesus contradicting himself? Has Jesus suddenly become illogical? No. Okay. I think there's a way of understanding this. He's not making an absolute sort of statement here. But remember, let's continue with that sentence. Does not believe in me, but rather in the one who sent me. Jesus is speaking here, of course, as the Messiah and therefore as mediator. And all of the things that we are going to come across in the, in the context of this paragraph have to be seen in the light of his role as mediator in his first coming. If we don't see it in that light, then we get very, very confused. And so when Jesus is saying, you don't believe in me, it's sort of like he's actually saying, you don't believe just in me, but also in the one who sent me. Because Jesus' goal was not simply to gain attention and to gain people believing in him, but he wanted people rightly connected to the Father, that's what his mission has always been about. It's not about gaining disciples for him, so to speak, so much as bringing people back to the Father. That's why we read, and for, perhaps, ugh, we read, for instance, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And there Paul is focusing on the humanity of Christ. As mediator. Jesus comes as mediator on the behalf of the Father who sent him, and he points to him. This is a reminder that all of this has been initiated by the Father for our salvation. We, we can lose any sort of sense of Jesus comes to appease an angry Father who you know will now begrudgingly accept us. The Father is the one who sent the Son into the world to reconcile His people to Him. So to believe Jesus' word is to believe the Father's word. Jesus, as prophet, is not encouraging us to worship another God. He's calling us back to the one true God, Father Son and Spirit. And so, if we see it in that light, this statement should not be as confusing as it might initially seem to be. The Father stands behind the Son's words as the one who sent him to speak those words. They are not to be separated, but to be united in our minds because they are of one purpose. One goal, they speak together, not different messages, but the same message. Jesus goes even a little further in a parallel statement there, which helps us to understand what it means to believe, the one who sees me sees the one who sent me. And so, they who gazed upon Jesus and received him for who he declared himself to be, not only beheld that only perceived not only gazed upon Jesus but gazed upon the Father who sent Jesus precisely because Jesus is the living in-fleshed image of the invisible God for us to behold Colossians 1 Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Mm -hmm. Hebrews chapter 1, he is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so, when we by faith gaze upon Jesus... What we are seeing is not just Jesus, but the Father whom he came, as it says in chapter 1 of this gospel, to exegete, or to explain, or to interpret to us. He reveals himself to us so that he might reveal the Father to us. Do you understand how in both of these ways, his goal is not just for you to behold him, to believe Him, but to also behold and believe the Father as well. Jesus, in saying these things, I think, speaks uh, both of their unity and also His purpose in being sent to save, to bring us back to the Father, not just to bring us to Himself, but to bring us, therefore, With him to the Father. The Son who was sent has also sent his people out to testify about the Father. Now, I said that. John 20, the end of this Gospel, we see Jesus said to them, Peace be with you, as the Father sent me, even so I'm sending you. So as I talk about these things, in the, through the rest of this sermon, I want you to have kind of a double gaze. One is looking at Jesus and being drawn to worship him, and the second is recognizing that you too have been sent out so that people can know Jesus, and by knowing Jesus, know the Father. Okay? So, If we can, let's keep both of those things in our minds as we sort of track along. When people believe our testimony about Jesus, they're not believing in us, but we're calling them to believe our words about and to believe in the Son and the Father. Okay. So just as Jesus didn't come for his own glory, but was sent to show the Father's glory. So we too are sent out to show the Father's glory if we believe. All right, that's the first part. Are we all happy? Didn't matter. Secondly, those who reject the Son remain in the darkness. Again, this is focused on Jesus' first advent, these words that are about to follow. And so they really shouldn't be taken absolutely. If we do take them absolutely, what we find is that they begin to contradict some other clear passages, one of which we read there uh, in Romans chapter two, how it talks about Paul's gospel declares that God will judge the secrets of men's hearts by Jesus. Okay, keep that in mind. Paul's gospel is not different than Jesus's gospel. It's the same but we see in other places, including Jesus' own words, that Jesus is judge. We'll get there. What this, the complexity of this passage reminds us of what the Westminster Confession of Faith calls the analogy of Scripture. That we need to interpret unclear passages of Scripture in light of clearer passages of Scripture. And so, as I prepared my sermon... That's what I do every week, okay? Because I don't want to teach some, teach you something that's going to deviate from the, the whole of Scripture. And sometimes if we look at a verse in isolation, that's what we do. We take it and it necessarily out of its context, we then begin to miss what it's actually saying. So I'm just encouraging you to continue to do that same sort of thing and recognize that that's what I'm trying to do even now as we speak. Jesus says, first off, I have come into the world as light. This is not new to us. Uh, we saw a number of discourses where Jesus declares that he is the light of the world, that he was the fulfillment of uh, the festival of tabernacles. Okay. But we recognize when we say this that Jesus came to a world that was in darkness and in need of light. Pity the poor people who want to listen on the Internet. And there's that whole missing section that happened. Life will go on, right? Jesus still is sovereign. All right, where was I? Ah, yes, they remain in the darkness. He did not come to judge, but to save. We see the same concept in John chapter 3, particularly in verses 16 to 18. That, again, refers to his first advent. It does not refer to his second advent. His mission, the first time around, was to bring salvation to the elect. Okay? So we've got to keep that in mind as we look at this and not change it into some, change Jesus into some sort of person who would never judge anybody because he's just, you know, cute and cuddly and stuff. But he speaks of those, he warns those who hear his words, but do not keep or observe them. These are the people that remain in the darkness. John speaks about this in his second letter, verse 9, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide or remain in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the father and the son. see you notice there's the message again not just the son, the father and the son. those who hear it must abide in it and that's why all of these beliefs we believe in they're all present tense that idea of continuing to believe not you believed once 15 years ago when you walked the aisle or raised your hand or however it was in the church you went to, but an ongoing belief in who Jesus says he is. Okay. In other words, another way of thinking about this is that Sunday school answers are supposed to be everyday answers. We are to be not just confessing Christ when we're in this building, but we are to be confessing Christ and obeying Christ the other six days of the week when we're not in this building, but we're in the public sphere. Your faith is not supposed to be a privatized Sunday morning kind of faith. God intends your faith to be lived out 24-7, whether you're in the privacy of your home or you're at work or you're at the mall or wherever else you find yourself to be. You are intended to live by faith in God wherever you are, whenever you are, throughout the course of the week. It's the person in darkness who thinks that he can keep Jesus to 1030 to 12 o'clock-ish on a Sunday morning. I give myself leeway there, (laughs) okay? we see in James 4 that there is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. And that brings us back again to that reality of the second second advent of Jesus when he will come to judge. But he's speaking here that there is a judge for those who reject him. Now, that word reject has in mind the idea of disregarding someone or something, uh, to think very little of someone or something, or to slight someone or something. We've probably, in certain parts of this country or this community, they disrespected, they thought too little of somebody. Okay, And so this is the person who thinks little of Jesus. Now, let's unpack this for a moment. What are they thinking little of? Well, if we if we think about John's gospel thus far, we recognize that they're thinking little of the Word who was with God and the Word who was God. Through him, through whom everything that has been created was created. They're saying. I don't need the one who is before the face of the father. I don't need the one who holds everything together by the power of his word. I don't need that one to help me. I got it under control. They are saying that they don't need Jacob's ladder that somehow they think they can procure the blessings of God on their very own without the help of Jesus. They are, of course, mistaken. They think that they don't need the Lamb of God to take away their sins. They think that somehow either they are good enough or they can do enough good to make up for all of their disobedience to cover over their guilt, and they can't. They're slighting the Son of Man who comes to judge the living and the dead, and they're saying, I don't need someone to make the score right. I can do that myself. I can fix the problems of the earth. I have the wisdom. I have the power. I can do this. No. We need Him to come and restore justice to a messed up world. Let's keep going for a few more moments. That he is the Messiah who sits upon the throne of David. If we slight him, we're basically saying, I don't need a king. I don't need a king who tells me how to live. I don't need a king who def- to defend me and provide for me and subdue me. I'm okay. We desperately need a king, and a good king, and he's the only one. We need Jesus, who is the bread of life. We need Jesus, who is the good shepherd. We need Jesus, who is the light of the world. Do you see? When people slight Jesus, they are saying, they don't need that Jesus that John has been proclaiming to us for uh, 12 chapters so far in the many ways in which he comes to meet the needs of sinners to deliver them and bring them back to the Father. So it's no small thing to reject Jesus. When they reject Him, when they think little of Him, They therefore do not receive his words as significant. If you're a Marx if you love Karl Marx, what are you gonna do? You're gonna read his book Das Kapital. You're gonna study his book Das Kapital. You will probably commit much of it to memory because you want your life to be shaped by Marx and his teaching. The one who receives Christ wants their life to be shaped by Jesus and his teaching. And so therefore, as Paul says in Colossians, the word of Christ will dwell richly. It will make a difference. There will be a shift and a change. It will be so significant, the most significant thing for us to know or learn. Anyway, back to our text. Jesus doesn't say that they will not be judged. He says, the word that I have spoken will judge him, meaning the person who thinks lightly of Jesus. On the last day, all that that person rejected with regard to who Jesus is will condemn them. It's a hard thought, but it's a true thing that Jesus says. We, we, we understand this in the sense that the unbeliever remains under the judgment of God. They already were under the judgment of God, and because they've rejected him, they remain in this position, not just for their sin, but now also for their unbelief at the full revelation of God. Now, remember I talked about that second thing to keep in mind, second way of looking at this. As children of light, we too are sent into the world, okay? Our goal is not to condemn the world. We go to a world that's already condemned. We go to make known how they can be free, how they can be pardoned, how they can be forgiven and brought back to God. That's a very important distinction for us to make. We speak of sin and call it for what it is, but our goal is not to let them feel condemned by us, but so that they might know that there is a Savior and his name is Jesus. And so as the light, Jesus didn't bring the darkness, but reveals the darkness that binds us. All right, third thing of this overture. Jesus spoke only on the Father's command why is rejecting jesus and not believing and keeping his word so serious I, I think this gets back at that it reemphasizes some of what we saw in the first part of this sermon because they aren't rejecting simply jesus they are also rejecting the father who stands behind jesus you know if you make my wife your enemy Sorry, I'm your enemy too. (laughs) Because my primary allegiance on the earthly plane is with my wife. Okay? I'm supposed to defend her and protect her and bless her and provide for her, all of these things. It's the same way. You cannot have the Father and not have Jesus. You can't have Jesus and not have the Father. They come together. Just as Amy and I come together, so to speak. Jesus speaks, he says, on the Father's authority. The Father gave the Son a commandment. Let's think of it this way. We've talked about it in the sense of Jesus, in a sense, being a missionary, but also let's think of it in terms of being an ambassador. How many of you remember Shirley Temple? The cute little girl from all of those movies, okay, on the good ship, lollipop. Was I even close to being in tune for that? Um, I was awesome, the first word. (laughs) Well, she, of course, became Shirley Temple Black, and under President Ford's administration, she was an ambassador to Ghana and Africa, but her political career wasn't done because under Bush 41 she became the ambassador to Czechoslovakia. And so she was there when all the world changed and the Iron Curtain fell and Czechoslovakia became freed. This, you know, we tend to think of her as the little girl with the curly hair singing the songs in the old, old movies, but she was an ambassador. In her role as ambassador, she doesn't make up what she wants to say. She's supposed to communicate what the President of the United States wants her to communicate to Ghana or later Czechoslovakia. She's not writing her own playbook. She's supposed to be following the playbook of the President. Jesus doesn't write his own playbook. He follows the playbook of the Father. The Son, as our mediator... Submitted to the Father's authority as the God-man. Now, that's a very important distinction to make. Yeah, I got time. There's um, a movement that I've just heard about, a, a theological development more, I've just heard about. And they're trying to protect a good biblical position, I think, Anyway, you may disagree with me. I know some of you do. Uh, but that idea of uh, male headship, the complementarian viewpoint. But I think they're going to a bad place to try and defend this. And they talk about the eternal submission of the Son. Okay? That's when it's really good to keep in touch with your uh, historical community. Because our historical community in the Reformed faith reminds us that when Jesus submits to the Father, he does so as the mediator. He does so as the God-man on our behalf. This is not something that is ontologically necessary of him as Son, but it's how he functions as our Savior. do Do you understand that distinction? If you don't, you can talk to me later. I might be able to explain it better. Then again, I might not. Okay? As our mediator, he submits to the Father. The Father makes a command to him. Okay? As those who are sent out by Jesus, we too submit to the Father and speak the Father's words to people. We're not on our own playbook or on God's playbook in our, in our evangelism. We communicate His message, not our own message. Now, it's personalized because of the person we're speaking to, but it's God's message. And we have to keep that in mind. Speak His message. The Father told the Son what to say and what to speak. And Jesus, for us and for our salvation, obeyed that very thing and everything the Father told him to do. But we recognize here that Jesus' very words were given to him by the Father. And so if they reject the words of Jesus, what they're really rejecting are the words of the Father. the very father that these Jewish leaders who were rejecting Jesus, that very father they said they believed in. That is what is so close in the relationship between the father and the son. And so we see John bringing this back in 1 John 5, verse 12. Whoever has the son has life, and whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. This means I think a couple of things but one of the key one is we are not simply to believe in God or to believe that God exists. But the scriptures call us to believe God. When he speaks to us in the scriptures we're to believe what he says. That's a lot different than, yeah, I believe God exists. My children can say, well, of course Daddy exists. But there are times when they have to believe me when I speak. As I try to protect them, as I try to guide them, or whatever. And that's the idea. That Daddy's telling me the truth and can be relied upon. And is not going to lead me astray. So we have to believe what God says to us in the scriptures. As a mediator, his commandment we see here was to bring life over the course of his earthly ministry. He came to save. We who have life through the Son offer it to others in a variety of ways. The other day I was uh, taking my walk and I was listening to The Best of Kansas. And uh, one of the last songs on that album is Hold On. And if you don't know the, what happened, um, Kerry became a Christian. He was the guitarist and uh, keyboard player and one of the principal songwriters of the band Kansas. And he became a Christian. And one of the, on the very next album... There's this song, Hold On, that he wrote for his wife, who had not yet become a Christian, but eventually did. And of course, Steve Walsh wasn't really wild about singing those lyrics. <laughs> okay, Now this, this Jesus thing happened to Carrie, and that Jesus thing hadn't happened to Steve Walsh, and that's eventually why Steve Walsh left the band, because uh, Carrie was like, no, I've found a new song to sing. Jesus has become the one I sing about. And that's not going to change. And so that's sort of what the idea is here. There's a new overture to your life. You used to have a theme song to your life, but now your theme song is intended to be all around Jesus and who he is. This overture that we've been looking at has the familiar themes of the Son being sent, of the Son saving us from condemnation and darkness, of the Son revealing the Father to us. We're reminded in this overture of how high the stakes are as a result, that if we think little of Jesus and reject him, we also reject the Father who sent him and therefore remain in judgment. But to receive him and to receive his words means that we live by those words every day and we make Jesus known to other people. In other words, Christ becomes the overture of our lives and the song that we sing, even if it's a little off key. Let's pray. Father, I hope that made a whole lot of sense out there. (laughs) I had that sense of just pulling things together from different directions, but that's what an overture does. So, Lord, work by your Spirit that these things would indeed work deep into our hearts, not just our heads, but also our hearts, so that, yes, indeed, we would keep Jesus' Word. We would be... Motivated by the gospel of grace to walk in faith, and in that gratitude, our hearts would overflow. That we would sing, not hold on, but the great songs of our faith, the great psalms that we find in scripture. that by the Spirit, we would be making that melody in our hearts because You are changing us by Your Son. So work these things in us, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen.